I'd like to welcome everyone to this unique podcast episode, which features a highly informative Q&A with Russ Riendo, who is a partner with JobFlex in Chicago. Russ is here today to speak with us about how to increase the odds of successful hires, and then finding ways to retain these people for longer periods of time. As we all know, retention is now the holy grail of talent management leaders, and for Russ, this is no exception. Russ is a top industry expert in the field, and he also happens to be a behavioral scientist. That professional background is likely to help as he walks us through the latest thinking in hiring, interviewing, and the latest slate of the talent management sector. As always, I'm your host, Adam Shapiro, brand development leader at Hunt Scanlon Media, and this is Talent Talk. Objective-based interviewing may not be a brand new concept, but it is one gaining traction among hired professionals today. The technique, say its proponents, results in better desired hiring outcomes and widens the talent pool beyond the usual suspect. I conducted a written email with Russ just this morning, and I thought it was so compelling that I asked him to replicate it here on our podcast. I'm a millennial, and I'll be the first to admit that I'd rather listen to Russ's words than read them. Hunt Scanlon's more useful audience is rapidly expanding, so please, indulge me. Russ is about to take us into the hiring spectrum. He will focus on the need for better training and how to get more value while reducing risk using proven interviewing techniques. His objective is to create a system of accountability for hiring managers and to increase their success in hiring at all levels within their organization. His insight is compelling straightforward, and is likely to reset how many hiring professionals approach the one task that they do every day, speaking with candidates. Russ, welcome to the show today. Adam, thanks for having me. Good morning. Russ, we love the interview, so thank you for coming on, and let's just jump right into it. What are some of the big challenges and disconnects you see for hiring managers looking to identify great talent in a tight talent market? Well, Adam, there's a couple of critical areas that need enhancing interview training for one. According to our statistics, over 75% of hiring managers have not received interview training in the last three years. It seems like everyone, even HR managers, don't have time to secure new talent and teach new training techniques, let alone deliver in-house training to the team. Another area which needs improving is the onboarding and training for new employees. Many companies lack robust onboarding programs, so they're forced to hire only that industry experience because their training is so weak. From my vantage point, I see that they can't attract or educate the smart trainable profession, the smart trainable professionals, thus the retreads and the marginal employees are recycled back into the system. And lastly, CEOs need to allow and even, in fact, demand that their hiring managers be uh, taught to have the courage to ask the tough questions, to demand documentation, and to regulate and, and their ego to uh, be uh, in the back for a while. There's too much information available today for us to make an informed decision on someone when we go to hire them. Remember that old adage, when you see behavior, believe it. You have to believe the behavior. 
and CEOs and business owners need to allow changes in hiring practices to happen and support this shift. The market's too chaotic. It's way too fast for competitors to cough up viable candidates who, well, in actuality are not likely as good and more likely to leap from the competitor. Hire the frontal cortex, not the Rolodex is a phrase I repeat often, to emphasize the importance of seeing past industry knowledge and going into that gray matter. And, and think about this for a moment. A person's IQ is innate. Industry experience can be learned in two weeks. I mean, most executives don't want to believe this because they're under such pressure to produce. Consider that the average CEO, Adam, is 3.5 years in their role. So it's no wonder to me why so many decisions are made with short-term motivation. Well, I'm sure many of us would agree that we make our decisions based on short-term motivations, and those may not always be the best decisions. So listeners out there, just know that you're not alone, but listen to these words that Russ are speaking and learn from it. So, Russ, can you tell us about objective-based interviewing? Yeah, and um, I would best describe objective-based interviewing as it's designed to teach hiring managers to hire for the desired outcomes of, of specific roles. And that's compared to hiring to a job or a job spec description or matching a person to the existing role. And it's a very subtle difference, but experiential-based interviews are simple uh, default questions that have nothing to do with more than compare experiences. And this approach does not focus on things like whether the person was successful or whether their skills are adaptable. And objective-based interviewing, on the other hand, looks at the exacting actions, similar steps to success, and the action patterns that are aligned with the current spec of the job, along with the candidate's experience and success. Now, if these sound similar, they are, but... The, the difference here is, for example, if it was a salesperson, sales cycles, pricing, level of contact, technical acumen, what kind of professional development training they've had, their self-awareness, critical thinking skills, geographic territories, communication style, the status and power of the decision makers they would be calling on to sell, as well as their income, the income of the candidate, that is there's even a great chance this person will fit into the role very well, even if they're unrelated to the industry that they're, they're under consideration for. And all these factors can be tested and even documented and proven. And what this does is it mitigates the hiring risk. That's, that's what it's all about. We're trying to reduce the hiring risk and recruiting star performers who have a predisposition to succeed in a particular texted-for environment. So all those out there going into an interview or looking to transition careers can certainly take a lot from this. So, Russ, how can leaders get more value and reduce risk using this interviewing approach? I think this is probably one of the most robust processes that hiring managers can use, Adam, because objective-based interviewing creates instant accountability 
for the hiring manager to demonstrate and document what are the key deliverables or the key initiatives that will be expected of this new person in the role. Remember, we talked about over 75% of hiring managers have not received any interview training in the last three years. So these objective-based interviews are easier to conduct, and there's a lot more value to be gained because they can compare apples to apples and the skill sets that are needed. And this can also lead to hiring managers creating more compelling insights and deliverables for the HR team who can then better focus on sourcing and screening candidates through these success patterns and what kind of experience they have. And, and importantly, is the proof that these individuals have achieved success in these same areas. In the end, what happens is the hiring manager needs to own the responsibility or failure for the, for the candidate. And this means consensus-based interviewing is not a proven good idea. So many companies use consensus-based mm-hmm. interviewing, but it takes away the accountability. And by the way, interview, interviews or managers in an interview should also talk at some point about verifying W-2 income. And we do this to be sure the person is, A, being truthful, but we're also checking to see if the income and experience ratio is accurate. Because if this person is not earning an income that is a, a income for a successful person in that industry that should be earning, it's unlikely that they will be the best of the litter. And and look at this. Did did you know that 80% of hiring managers don't check references or meet people in a social setting during the interview? I mean, it's surprising, but it's true. Even HR has a tough time persuading hiring managers and organizations to utilize their particular HR training and insights in objective-based interviewing and consider other data. So you and I know the hiring managers today are clearly under pressure to get the job done now, hit the ground running, find that competitor, steal someone, and this is completely the wrong approach. There are exceptions, but it's the wrong approach because the stats show that people from the industry will not last as long. Thus, the challenge with the old experiential-based interviewing approach. Very interesting, Russ. There's certainly more pressure than ever on hiring managers, and this is one expense that cannot be overlooked. So, Russ, objective-based interviewing then seems to be absolutely critical as a hiring technique. Yes. Here's a couple other factors to consider, I think. The, the shift in how a job is viewed and sourced, when we look at it with objective-based interviewing, what we actually do is we're widening the candidate selection pool beyond the usual suspects. That usual suspects meaning competitors and, and easy referrals. And now the HR person dates heretofore that were unknown because we're looking for the frontal cortex. We're looking for intelligence, not just industry experience. And this shift to objective-based interviewing reduces issue, issues of salary matching with existing workers. It resists and uh, uh, helps with conflicts of getting around non-compete agreements. We don't have to deal with the counteroffer issues. We don't have bad will with, uh, with 
employees. We don't have bad will or potentially lost customers, lawsuits, trouble with morale, overpaying for people coming in, not worrying about checking references uh, and, and creating conflict. And we're also better prepared and we can control for some of these things that we would deal with if we're trying to go after uh, people from the competition. So it is a, it saves companies literally thousands and potentially large companies millions of dollars in costs that are associated with turnover that they won't have. Wow. So many benefits. It's unbelievable why everyone hasn't implemented this interviewing technique. And what I love most about this technique is, is how it widens the candidate pool beyond the usual suspects, like you said. That's so critical in this evolving market. So, Russ, how can CEOs, CHROs, and hiring managers further educate senior executives on this concept of objective-based hiring? Adam, it's a great question, and I've got a couple ideas, I think, that are very critical. First of all, all executives need training in interviewing to guard against ego hiring. They have to get out of their own way and listen to the data and the statistics around interviewing. So getting professional interview training will help. They need to take the time to prepare and not simply use all those default decision-making excuses or, or cues that they've used in the past. Executives don't have time to do much research um, during the interview approach, but the HR professionals can assert their skills and data to help shift the conversation and the approach to hiring. So the HR professionals can do a lot of the heavy lifting for that manager ahead of time. The um, the objective-based interviewing hiring, it helps align with research that suggests, as I talked about before, that hiring the frontal cortex is more important than hiring the fancy Rolodex. Cognitive skills are, are innate. Our intelligence is not going to change. Product knowledge and industry knowledge can be taught. It can be taught very quickly to a smart person. And, and we as search professionals, if we're talking about the, the search industry, we need to, to better question our client or our potential client to be sure that the assignments that we take have the right timing and needs expectations. Is the search a valid, doable search? Is the hiring manager realistic or are they naive in their expectations of what this candidate will look like? Can HR, for example, convince the hiring manager to make the needed changes to believe that the market actually has the talent that they need and is it going to look different when they show up for the interview? And this is so critical as we go forward in changing executive mindsets towards uh, objective-based interviewing. That's very interesting. It's almost like you can you can't teach a jump shot, but you uh, certainly can't make everyone six ten uh, if you think about it in basketball regards. So cognitive skills right. and how <laughs> and how they're often right. overlooked for for industry knowledge. So Russ, right. how do these changes affect recruiting professionals and does it help the client do a better job if they fly solo and try to find candidates on their own? Well, I, I think um, the response to that 
sometimes be a loaded question, but my my experience has been having done this now for 30 years and also doing much research and writing on it like you, is these concepts allow the headhunter to better target uh, candidates so they can, if, if the search professional has more specifics and details to evaluate candidate skills and experience, they're going to find a stronger candidate and have more success. There's also more value in having a specific agreed-upon checklist with the client and the search professional. What this does is eliminate the client from changing the spec midstream. It keeps everyone in the process accountable. It shows the client uh, that, that we have a strong representation of what they're looking for in the field. It, it allows us also to broaden the candidate's skills and their mind or, or making simple decisions around, well, I just didn't like the way their resume looked or they didn't seem to fit our culture. If we know that there are five or six key deliverables that they have experience in, they'll do even better. And also, because we now have more candidates to pull from with a larger and more broader spec, it can it can give us the shift in green light to go after non-competitors so we're eliminating more problems. This increases the odds of filling the job faster. It, it allows us to bring in behavioral science research and not merely a senior executive's gut check or simplistic hiring. And the research shows that rating the rival's arc, which we talk about rating the rival's arc for talent, is not a proven long-term success approach. Search professionals like myself and others, we can also deliver better consulting processes and become that trusted advisor for the client if they are willing to accept our education around this. And it also helps justify our fees and reinforce and reinforces the need to retain us for other projects that will come along because we help them make better decisions that save them far much more money than whatever the fee would be. So I appreciate your um, your willingness, Adam, to talk about a concept here uh, today that is uh, it's a pretty intense concept and can be difficult to learn and get people to accept, but it will save companies millions of dollars in every single hire that they have over the next year or two. Well, Russ, this was unbelievable inside, inside, and from my vantage point, this undoubtedly seems like a must, uh, you know, practice for hiring managers all over, and I hope that they listen to this and realize that, how critical it is. Well, that, that's all the time we have for now, but thank you so much for joining us today, Russ. Uh, it really was invaluable, and we appreciate it very much. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Hope everybody has a great day and happy hunting. <laughs> happy hunting. And that's all for this episode of Talent Talks. I'm Adam Shapiro, and we are out.